Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The next message from Gino to the 9807 phone number. Um, This message, Gino, states, uh, we here for you, bro. Just let us know what you need. Who's winning the YNW Melly murder trial so far? Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Arenberg and criminal defense attorney Natalie Whittingham Burrell debated out. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. Well, as you know, we have been following the YNW Melly double murder trial out of Broward County, Florida. The Murder on My Mind rapper, whose real name is Jamel Demons, is charged with the murders of his two friends and fellow YNW group rappers, Christopher Thomas Jr., or YNW Juvie, and Anthony Williams, or YNW Sack Chaser. These men were found shot to death on October 26, 2018, after Melly's co-defendant, Cortland Henry, also known as YNW Bortland, pulled up to the hospital with the bodies of Thomas and Williams in the car. He claimed that they were all victims of a drive-by shooting. However, the evidence, as laid out by the prosecution, has suggested this was a staged drive-by shooting and that the shots actually came from inside the vehicle. Now, prosecutors say that after the four left a recording studio, Melly was the one who shot the victims, and then he and Henry took the car to an area where they fired upon the car, staging it to look like a shooting. Melly gets out. Portland arrives at the hospital, and the prosecution has even highlighted how the defendant was a member of a gang called the G-Shine Bloods. Maybe that's a way of a potential motive that we're going to get into. And we can't forget that there is a lot at stake here with this trial because the death penalty is on the table if Melly is convicted. The law actually changed in Florida. It used to be you needed a unanimous vote for the death penalty. Now the law changed. All you need is an eight to four vote by that jury to vote in favor of the death penalty. Now, this trial is dark this week, so we thought we would do something a little bit different, something that is a sidebar first, a debate. And the debate is who is winning the YNW Melly trial and who will win? Well, I have two great guests because nobody wants me debating myself. That would be concerning. So I have two, two great guests. First up for the prosecution. With me here in studio is state attorney for Palm Beach County, Florida, Dave Arenberg. Dave, good to see you. Great to be with you, Jesse. And for the defense, criminal defense attorney, Natalie Winningham Burrell. Natalie, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Now, let's be very clear. Natalie and Dave don't actually represent anyone in the case. They're not retained by anyone in the case. They're not doing that. But this is a bit of analysis, so they're going to represent both sides. So I'm going to start off, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm taking out my trusty timer. I am going to give each of you two minutes for... Your opening statements. Yes, that's right. I'm Judge Jesse. That's what this is. And I'm going to start with you, Dave. You're going to give the prosecution's opening statement what you think, why you believe the prosecution is winning this case, and you can go 
right now. Judge Jesse, I think this comes down to Mr. Williams, the expert for the prosecution, because he shows beyond a reasonable doubt that the shots that killed the victims came from within the car. This was not a drive-by shooting. In fact, the shots that came from the alleged drive-by shooting didn't result in any blood because the people were already dead. So who could have committed the crime from within the car? Well, we know that Melly and his co-defendant were in the car. We saw video of them climbing in the car. There's DNA from within the car. There's cell phone records that put Melly there at the time of the murders. So it is Melly and his co-defendants that shot and killed these defendants because they were in the car, the backseat of the car, while their so-called friends were in the front seat, unbeknownst to what was going to happen. There were no defensive wounds, at least not on one of the victims. And so then the question is why? Because although you don't have to prove motive, you do have to explain to jurors because jurors want to know why. And here the why, admittedly, is not as clear, but... The fact that Melly was involved with a gang where he gets cred for either committing violence or in the rap world to be the victim of violence where perhaps the shots were intended at him to stage a crime like this could help him in his career or at least could help him within the gang. And then there are the, uh, the allegations from the victim's family, which says that there was a financial dispute with the victims, and that's what motivated Melly. Either way, there's only one person, along with his co-defendant, that had the means, motive, and opportunity to kill these victims, and it's the defendant on trial, Mr. Melly. Wow, that was like literally two minutes on the dot. I was thought I was going to have to play like the Oscar music to get you off, but you did perfect. Okay, there we go. Prosecution's opening statement. Natalie, for the defense, my question to you is why you believe the defense is winning this case, and you can go right now. Judge Jesse, the defense is winning this case because we have to remember it's the prosecution's burden to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt, and they failed to do that. The prosecution has no gun. The prosecution has no real motive. When they point to this uh, gang affiliation, there's nothing from any gang member texting to Melly or DMing Melly saying, take out your friends and that's how you'll get into the gang. They're asking for money, they're asking for gifts, they're asking for tribute, but they never asked for him to kill his own people. In addition, the, the prosecution is missing any physical evidence tying Y&W Melly to the murder itself. There's no DNA, there's no uh, uh, gunshot residue on his hands, and there's nothing showing that Y&W Melly was the shooter. And as far as this timeline is concerned, the prosecution doesn't know when the shooting happened. YNW Melly could have very well been out of the car at the time that the shooting occurred. So for all of those reasons, there are questions, and each of those questions is a reason to doubt. The jury cannot make a decision that YNW Melly is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They have to find him not guilty because the prosecution hasn't filled in those gaps. Okay, so now let's get a little bit into the evidence here. And I want to start because you both mentioned the motive, which I think is a really central theme here. So the potential motive here is being that Melly was part of the G-Shine Bloods. He killed his friends to show an oath, to show an oil, a loyalty to this gang. I want to play something. This is from Detective Danny Polo, who was a, an undercover officer, talked about gangs, and literally looked at photos of the defendant, conversations from the defendant, all to show his connection to the gang. Let's play this right now. Multiple videos of Mr. Demons 
claiming G-Shine or GKB as a game that he belongs to. Um, what about adopting the style or dress of a criminal gang? Yes, Mr. Devins was observed multiple, multiple times, more times that I can count, wearing the colors red, the colors green, and um, like I stated, the foot soldiers are told to wear tan or brown. And Mr. Dennis, there's a bunch of pictures of him wearing this tan trench coat that falls in line with the time where he would have been a foot soldier. And so we'll come back to some of those pictures in a moment. So, um, what about adopting use of a hand signs that's identified as used by a criminal gang? Yes, Mr. Mr. Demons knows all the gang signs, <laughs> and he does them very well. He can do them very quickly, a lot faster than I can. So, Dave, I'll actually start with you on this. Maybe it's a little bit of speculation. Sometimes people throw up gang signs or they affiliate themselves with a dangerous gang to more street cred than anything. They're not really serious. You think this is strong evidence? Judge Jesse, remember this. Prosecutors don't have to prove motive. It's not an element of first-degree murder. But because jurors know, want to know the why, they want to offer to jurors, here's what could make someone murder his friends. And in this case, his gang affiliation is a big part of that. Because he does get street cred, he gets credit within the gang if he can show that he would do something like this. Yes, as Natalie said, it's not a financial tribute, and there's no specific requirement you have to kill someone, but it does get you cred within the gang. And then, on top of that, it gets you cred within the community of uh, the rap community, because he wouldn't be the first rapper who has survived a a drive-by shooting and that has uh, used that to sell albums. Also, there's the financial dispute that he apparently had with the victims, as alleged by the parents of the victims in their civil lawsuit. Right, but the jury doesn't really know about that, uh, in my understanding, Natalie. It seems they're more focused on the gang aspect. So I turn it over to you because, you know, look, I also heard the testimony from this detective who said he wouldn't, Melly would not put himself in a position to falsely associate himself with the G-Shine Bloods because he could endanger his life. So these signs that he's making, the way he's dressing... Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It sure looks like he might be part of a gang and maybe was showing his oath or his loyalty. What's your response? Uh, my response to that is that that does not show that he killed anyone or planned to kill anyone. Being associated with a gang, being affiliated with a gang, impersonating being affiliated with a gang is not evidence that someone actually killed anyone. There are plenty of gang members out there who haven't killed anyone. It's a hard pill for people to swallow, but that's actually true. So they haven't, I think, the prosecution done the job of tying this alleged gang affiliation to this murder. No message thing to take out your friends. And if the defense can walk it just right, they can show that usually uh, it's, you know, take out the uh, opposing gang. 
hurt someone from another organization, not one of your own friends. That doesn't show actual loyalty. So I'm not sure exactly how it is that the prosecution thinks that they're tying those two together. All they're really doing is trying to say that because YNW Melly is a bad guy, he must be a murderer, and that's an improper inference. Well, let's talk about the messages for a second, because I think those are important. There was a text message that was shared to this jury that was seemingly between the defendant and his mother regarding a gun. Let's play that and see where we stand on it. Jamie King is sending a text message to her son. Send me your location. I'm in Stewart. I love you so much. He then sends a return the location showing at or about the time of the crime as to who was using and doing that. Okay. Love you again from Jamie King. I'm at your gate. I'm going to get the trash. The next response is bring Mariah, which you honor has already heard testimony that Felicia Holmes, her daughter, Mariah Hamilton, was in a dating relationship with this defendant and that at this time and that there was conversations and that she has identified Mariah as Mariah Hamilton. Then there is okay. It continues. He then asks his mother to buy him a Gloss ASAP and telling her, like, go now. So she then responds, okay, what's wrong? She says, I got your 45. Then his response, I just don't want no illegal gun. Well, that's not illegal. So Natalie, how bad is that for the prosecution? How bad is that for the defense? That's not great for the defense. Get me a gun right away is, is not great for the defense. I will say this. There was a period of time that elapsed before the actual shooting and him yes. asking his mother to get a gun. And so it seems like if, if it was really the urgent thing that it related to the shooting, the shooting would have happened right away. Some weeks after might have meant that this was in reference to something else. Uh, of course, the defense doesn't have a burden of production or to prove anything, but this is an opportunity in the defense case for them to present something uh, once they start their case saying that there was a reason for him to be asking for this. You know, they're saying the prosecution set up this gang affiliation. Was he in fear of rival gang members? And that's why he wanted to be armed uh, immediately. Was there something that had immediately uh, precipitated that request? Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's not great, but it's not like it's the end of the world. You can't explain it. You're just going to have to find a way. Well, let's talk about a message that's more directly connected to this case. So allegedly... There was an Instagram DM, a direct message exchange that was revealed by the prosecutors. And a user asks about whether or not YNW Melly is safe following the shooting that happened in 2018. And the rapper allegedly responds, I did that. Shh. Now, Dave, I turn it to you. That doesn't look good, right? But maybe the counter argument is why would he blatantly admit to somebody he committed a murder? Sounds like a confession to me. And when you tie it to his demand for a gun right away and then all the other circumstantial evidence, it's really bad for him. And why would someone admit to some stranger on Snapchat that he did it? Well, first off, Snapchat messages disappear, and so you have this false sense of security. Plus, it's the same reason why he wanted to sacrifice his friends for the gang. It's to get him some street cred. It's to get himself notoriety because he's— He's real. He's going to sacrifice people, kill people, or at least survive a drive-by shooting. But we know now it wasn't a drive-by shooting, so there's only one other explanation. He murdered 
these two victims. Natalie, quick response to that. That's not a good statement. <laughs> but if we're speaking <laughs> from the <laughs> we're speaking from the defense perspective here, uh, that either they can't say that it's Melly that was making that Snapchat message or that he's meaning something else that they're going to have to explain on the defense case. They have to come up with some other meaning for it because that's the most direct evidence that they have is him saying, I did that. Well, is this evidence direct? This evidence that I'm about to mention, the cell phone evidence, because here's a sampling of it. There's the testimony of FBI Special Agent Brendan Collins. He discussed these two phones, and it seems that one of those phones is associated with the defendant, Mr. Demons, and the other with Mr. Thomas, again, one of the victims. Let's listen to this. What can you tell us about where the blue phone and the red phone were at 320? So generally in the area around uh, New Era Studios. Okay. As you're moving across the slide, what are we looking at? So we see a series of uh, towers that the red phone and the blue phone um, were observed by as they move from east to west. Um, so you see there's a line of towers generally in this area, kind of 595, down at 75, and then the last ones at the end of the slide are the the west, kind of by the intersection of Utah Tower, that's near the intersection of Pines, and US 27, the tower is 63035, sector 15, at 357 AM, that tower saw each of these phones. And based on your training and experience, what does that tell you about how the phones were moving in relation to one another between 320 and 357 AM? Yeah, so in my opinion, that's consistent with devices moving generally together. So you mentioned that there are some in which there is red and blue together. So I want to focus in, there's one here, it looks like at the intersection of Flamingo Road and I-75, yes. and 595 rather. The red with the blue, what does that mean when you have them overlaid like that? So that tower saw both the red phone and the blue phone. Okay. Okay, so my understanding, Dave, is the prosecution wants to put that phone in Melly's hands. They want to say, I think he was with the victims 15 minutes before their bodies were transported to the hospital. Is that strong evidence? It is. And as I said in my opening, the fact that cell phone data puts Melly right there at the time tells you that he is the killer because he and the co-defendant were there. They were inside the car. They were traveling together. And it is interesting that there was a drive-by and all these shots, and yet he didn't get hit with anything. So it's like the magic bullet theory. Uh, so it shows you there wasn't a drive-by. This came from within the car. As the horror movie said, the call came from inside the house. <laughs> Natalie, is it his phone though? Is it YNW Melly's phone? Are we clear on that? We're not clear that it's YNW Melly's phone. There were other people that were using that phone. We also know that the phone was active after YNW Melly was in custody and could not have had uh, access to his phone. So there's definitely a question of that. And the defense did a great job of driving that home. And we cannot minimize the fact that there's another person there, YNW Bortland, the person with gunshot residue on his hands. YNW Melly could be staying silent because he wants to cover for YNW Portland, that there's a sense of loyalty, that he doesn't want to throw him under the bus. But it's very, very possible that YNW Melly was an innocent bystander, that he didn't know that any shooting was going to take place, and that it just happened without his knowledge and he was just present. So it could be one of those two mm. things. Dave, what about the fact that there is no murder weapon 
No murder weapons that have been recovered. No DNA of the defendant on any of the key items of evidence in this case except the door handle, which is not that surprising because he could have still been in the car and not been the killer. It feels like a real big weakness in the prosecution's case. It is a circumstantial case. We have a lot of cases without a murder weapon. You're still able to prosecute it. I mean, you can tie him to the murder weapon. One of the best ways was a Snapchat video that showed him with a murder weapon, but it was suppressed in advance. And after the judge suppressed it, since we're not talking to the jury here, the uh, the defendant, Melly, fist bumped his lawyers to make consciousness of guilt. But that's not evidence that can be introduced. But it is an issue. And as Natalie pointed out, there's no gunshot residue on his hands while there is on his co-defendant. Of course, as a prosecutor, you put on evidence how easy it is to wash off the gunshot residue, especially when you know you're guilty. But I admit, the circumstantial evidence is key, and there's not a lot of direct evidence here. Natalie, there is no DNA on the spent casing, the water bottle, the Gucci sandals, the blood stains on the T-shirt, the blood stains on a pair of Air Jordans. I know juries like evidence. They like to have that concrete evidence. They've said it's a circumstantial evidence case. You think this is going to be a big enough, big enough of a hang-up for the jury that they'll acquit him? I think it's a big enough hang, hang up that there's doubt and that the defense can point out that that doubt is reasonable and it's enough uh, to acquit him. So not so much saying that, oh, we for sure think he's innocent, but to say, I, ha I don't think the state has proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt here. Uh, had this violent event happened exactly as the prosecution thinks that it happened, that DNA should be there. Uh, you would argue that gunshot residue should be there somewhere. You know, they executed search warrants. Why didn't they find gunshot residue on any clothes or anything like that? So all of that could go to showing that he wasn't the actual shooter. And it, there's a lot of assumptions that, that are being made. Just because he's in the car, does that mean that he knows that any shooting is going to happen? Not necessarily. So there's a lot there as far as poking holes. That's all the defense needs to do. And they just need one juror to question for mistrial. All right. I want to go to the last piece of evidence. I could talk about uh, talk about this all day, but there's one last piece of evidence that I think is going to be a real struggle for this jury, and maybe you too, and that is going to be the ballistics and the trajectory evidence. So here's a sample. This is a testimony from a plaintiff's expert saying that the shooting happened from inside the car. Can you say the length of time between the fatal shots and then the staged drive-by shots later on? It was enough time for the for the heart to stop beating, for there to be no circulation due to the wounds that I examined from the medical examiner's office. None of the wounds uh, have any blood in, blood in them, which tells me that they're all anti-mortem wounds. So uh, the time was long enough for the heart to stop beating. Okay. Is there scientific or medical testing? To recreate that in any way, shape, or form? Yes, it's it's science, it's knowledge. It's the uh, I'm sure the medical examiner could say the same thing. So, in terms of, it's nothing that can be recreated with a live human. Correct. In terms of the number of shots, you said 17 outside the car. How many rounds were fired inside of the car? Three. And can you exclude the shots to the head for Mr. Williams and Mr. Thomas is coming from outside of the car? Yes. Okay. Now, that's his opinion. Strong witness, but I'm sure the defense is possible. Defense could call their own reconstructionists, their own medical examiners to say this is the state's got it all wrong. 
we think the shooting was a drive-by shooting, or we can't tell if it happened from inside the car. How strong is that? That witness, Mr. Williams, is everything. Yeah. That's why I led with it in my opening argument. The defense is going to have to call their own expert to try to come up with a battle of experts to try to get some reasonable doubt because that witness tells you the shots that killed the victims could only have occurred inside the car. And the other shots were staged. There was no blood coming out of the, the holes at the time because they were already dead. And this witness came across really credibly. I mean, he's got the whole Drew Carey vibe about him. <laughs> Sensible haircut from the 50s. I, I think this guy is everything. Natalie, I'll turn it to you because I listened to this evidence and it seems to suggest that the shooting happened, first of all, that they were shot on the left side of their heads, the left side of their faces. We know, uh, based on the surveillance footage, that YNW Melly was on the left side of that car, the left pass, the left driver's seat, I believe. Um, and so it looks like the shots came from his position. How's, what do you think? How, is, that, is that enough for the defense to fight against? How do you think they're going to fight against it? Um, what are some ways that they can really raise reasonable doubt there? The way the defense can raise reasonable doubt is to challenge assumptions. So you have to assume that just because someone was in a certain position in a vehicle at one point in time, they remained in that position in the vehicle the entirety of the event and that they were there at the exact time that the shooting happened. But as we know, it's not really clear exactly when the shooting happened, even from what they have so far, especially because they you know, went to several scenes and couldn't find you know, shell casings and things like that. And then in addition, YNW Melly could have changed his position in the car, could have gotten out of the car, Bortland could have gotten into the back seat. Um, anything could have happened. So it's telling you these people were shot from a certain position and that they were shot inside first before they were shot outside. But what it does not tell you is who the shooter was. And so just point out that gap with that evidence. And you don't even have to challenge how credible that person is. You can, you can challenge, however, the limitations of what they can testify to. And I think that's reasonable doubt. Dave, I'm going to give you the final point because usually in a case you have the, oh, the closing argument from the prosecution, the defense closing argument, and the prosecution gets a rebuttal. It's their case. They have to prove it. I'll give you the rebuttal to uh, a chance to respond to Natalie. You have to show beyond any reasonable doubt. It is not reasonable to me to think that Melly, who was in the back left seat of the car, ran around and switched places right before the murder. When you're seeing him get into the car, when the, the wound went in from the left side, when the drive-by was staged. So Melly, I guess, would have had to switch place in the car, would have not gotten shot in the drive-by, then would have had to lie about uh, everything and to try to cover for his friend. Um, I don't think it's even possible. I think there's no question beyond a reasonable doubt who killed these victims, and it was Melly and his co-defendant. Well, this was a good debate. I don't know where I'm sitting on it. I don't know where all of our viewers and listeners are sitting on it, but you got a taste of both sides. Dave Arenberg, Natalie Whittingham, Burrell, thank you both so much for taking the time. Um, and, you know, as a judge in all of my years, this could have been one of the best debates. You both were civil. Um, and I will, t as they say, I'll take it under advisement and give you a ruling at a later date. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we have for you here on Sidebar, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time.